It's a real joy to be with you. Um, I just want to reciprocate. Uh, I, I've known Andrew some years. Delighted at the progress. Prayed with him in different settings at the progress that this church has made. Uh, and so it's an absolute joy. I remember one time sort of being very enthusiastic and bouncy and saying, could I come preach? And I think Andrew scratched his head and I thought, okay, maybe another time. So it's deli- I'm delighted now to receive your invitation. And, and I've just got to know Jeremy uh, 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 more recently. And you've got lovely leaders and obviously your operations manager, director, coordinator. We're not quite sure what the term is. I mean, he's amazing. He, he texts after his mother in his organization. I just saw a tidy cupboard there, and I thought, yeah, that is definitely like his mother. It's nothing to do with me. Uh, so, yeah, it's brilliant to, to be here this morning. I want to talk about the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus. Uh, Jesus said to Philip, Have you been with me so long that you don't know me, Philip? Have you been with me so long that you don't know me, Philip? Philip, as a disciple of Jesus, had been with Jesus for, for two to three years. He'd seen, uh, he brought his best friend, Nathaniel, and said, look, we found the Messiah. This is the guy. He'd seen Jesus do amazing things. I'd seen dead rays. He'd seen miracles. He'd heard the teaching of Jesus. But yet, when Philip asks him a question, Jesus says, you don't really know me. You don't really know the heart of who I am. You don't really know the true core of who I am. I need to uh, give you my sources. I read this book. In fact, everyone was reading this book. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And I I read it because I thought, oh, and I didn't really get on with it. And I thought, oh, man, it's kind of... But anyway, I read it again. A friend of mine, Mark, said, look, read it again. I read it again, and it's really challenged me. So I've got a few quotes from here and I've listened to a few bits and pieces from Dane Ortland. So please don't say, this the guy's a plagiarist because actually this guy nicked it from guys about 500 years ago or 300 years ago called the Puritans. But if you can come at the end of the meeting and say, I really enjoyed your sermon and that's pretty important to me that you say that, you know, so just practice, I really enjoyed your sermon. And if you can tell me what God said to you, you can have a copy of the book, okay? You look like wealthy Londoners. I've bought my own copy. No, but in Leeds, they'd have gone, yes, they'd have been racing forward. Anyway, so that's for you. So Dane Ortland, in that book, Gentle and Lowly, says this about the, what it is about the heart. So it's important to understand about the heart. It says, one thing to get straight right from the start is that the, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's not speaking of our emotional life. You know, it's not... I heart England, I heart Calvin Phillips, you know. It's not that kind of shallow emotional life, you know, I love. It, it, but, the, but it's the central animating center of what we do. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning and what we daydream about when we drift off to sleep. And that's challenging, isn't it? Just there. We could preach a whole sermon on that. What do you daydream about? What, what do you think about? What's the... It's a, the heart, says at Auckland, is our motivational headquarters. The heart, in biblical terms, is not part of who we are, but the centre of who we are. Our heart is what defines and directs us. So we're on a journey, a brief journey this morning, to, to get to the heart of Jesus, to get to the very core of who God is. And, and in one sense, you could have been following Jesus for many years, like Philip, 
And you could still feel, I don't know him. Now, in one sense, that's a journey for all of us because Paul the Apostle writes, I want to know Jesus. So we're all on that journey. So wherever you are on that journey, you're really welcome this morning. Whether you've been on the heart, uh, journey to know the heart of Jesus for, for months or for years, you're really welcome this morning because we're on the heart to find what the heart of Jesus is. To find at the most intimate level what it's really about. And, and actually, to find how knowing the heart of Jesus aligns our heart to him. Because that's what we want, isn't it? You're here this morning because you want your heart to be lined up to him. You know, and, and I want to line up with him. So where, where do we go as we set our, set our hearts on pilgrimage to know the true heart of Jesus? Then perhaps the place to go is where Jesus himself reveals his true heart. And this is the title of Auckland's book, but he nicked it from Spurgeon and he nicked it from somebody else. But he says this in Matthew eleven twenty seven, and this is our passage this morning, just, just four verses. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son desires to reveal him. That's a great line. And then Jesus says these words, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, or meek and lowly. The translations swap these words around. And you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, we thank you that you're revealed in Christ. And Jesus, we thank you for that those sweet, profound words where you open, as it were, your heart to us and say that you're gentle and lowly, humble and meek. Lord, we say, let us, the truth of that hit us so squarely that we would love you more and our hearts would be aligned to you. Amen? Okay, so Dan Ortland again, last quote from him, I think, I'm not sure. It's a It says, in the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the the core of who Jesus is, we are not told that he's austere and demanding in heart. We're not told that he's exalted and dignified in heart. We're not even told that he's joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the term, says Ortland. His surprising claim is that he's gentle and lowly in heart. I mean, the incredible words for for Jesus to say, the incarnate God, this is in my heart. This is what I truly am. This is the core of who I am. This is what gets me up in the morning. This is what I think about. When you go deep, this is what you find. A Jesus who is gentle means his heart is soft and tender, patient and kind. A Jesus who's lowly means he's meek and humble and approachable and welcoming. I mean, how are you doing on that one? You know, if you're sitting with your, uh, your, you're sitting with your spouse or you're sitting with your family members or your friends, I mean, would they say that about you? Would they say, um, I mean, I'll use my own, I use my own name because I don't want to put you under pressure, but would you say, you know, well, Howard, you're so patient. <laughs> you're so humble. You know, that, that, that there's something so warm and appropriate. Would they? No. I mean, what are you like in traffic? I, I, I mean, you know, come on, admit it. I mean, have any, of you, have any of you ever got angry with somebody in traffic? 
Has anybody ever got angry with you in traffic? I'm not good in traffic. It does show that I I need the heart of Jesus to align with me. I remember one time uh, we we were leaving a church in Manchester and I overtook this lady, or or might have even undertook her, which could have been very annoying, to get to the front of the lights. And she pulled alongside me and she was about to wind her window down and give me a load of abuse. And I was probably about to reply. And then (laughs) she realized she was in my church and I was her pastor. (laughs) And I thought, ah, this is an interesting moment. Yes, yes. And, and when, I, when, I talk, when I spoke, when we talked about this at God First, I thought, I don't want to give people ammunition because, you know, I mean, Andrew, the projectors didn't work and he's just humble and gentle. And I'd be like, man, I'd be stressing everybody and pulling cables out everywhere. No, ah, how are we doing? We just need to be more like him. We're not like that. But when Jesus says he's gentle and lowly in heart, it's truly who he is. It's not an act he's putting on. He's washing his followers' feet, but he's having his feet washed by a prostitute who's been used and rejected by men. She's washing his feet with her tears, and he's accessible and approachable. He's embracing lepers and empowering women. Don't let anyone tell you that the church doesn't empower women. Jesus set the tone for our culture for empowering women. And, and he's honoring Samaritan outcasts. You know, don't say the church is all this kind. No, the Jesus is the first one. He says, come on, Samaritans. He's doing that. He's dying. He's forgiving his executioners, welcoming thieves into paradise, risen. He's cooking breakfast for the disciples who's denied him. Ascended. He's pouring out his love into our lives by the Spirit. He just can't help himself. He ever lives to pray for you. What's he doing right now? He's praying for you. He's praying for you as you listen. He's praying for you, your heart be open. He's praying for you if you had a terrible week. He's praying, come, all you are weary and heavy laden. He's amazing. Now, our society's got no problem with a gentle Jesus, have they? You know, if you went to Sunday school, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, it's almost like, really? That's not what he's like. And, but, but actually, he is like that, but our society's got no problem with that. We want a soft-hearted, tender, kind, forgiving, loving and forgiving Jesus, don't we? But actually, we expect Jesus to be like that indiscriminately. He is tender, soft-hearted, patient, but he's not like that indiscriminately. As if he was some moral pushover, who you can just do what you want in society, and he really doesn't care. So he is gentle and lowly at heart, but he's not indiscriminately so. He's not kind of, oh, it doesn't matter what you do, I'm just gentle and lowly. I mean, Matthew 11, you just, if, you've, if you had a Bible, you'd turn to it just a little bit further up. He says to these towns, I could put the London boroughs in there, but it might be too, too hit. Woe to you, Brent. And, no, he says, woe to you, Corazan and Bethsaida. For if the miracles I'd done in you, I'd done in wicked Leeds and Manchester... Tyre and Sidon, their people repented of their sins long ago, wearing sackcloth and throwing ashes on their head to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on the day of judgment than you. It says Capernaum, Sodom and Gomorrah is going to do better than you because you didn't believe. So Jesus is gentle and lowly, but he's not gentle and lowly indiscriminately. He's gentle and lowly to those who come to him. Come to me. Come to me, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Those who cry for help, learn from me. 
I'm gentle and lowly and you'll find shalom, you'll find rest for your soul. We need to come. The invitation is come. He is gentle and lowly, but he's gentle and lowly if you come. That's that balance in there for just for those who think this is a soppy sermon about Jesus. Now we're going to go super soppy on him. There's no one more tender-hearted and soft-hearted than Jesus, having said that. No one more patient and kind. No one more overflowing to sinners and sufferers. I don't know if any of you have been watching The Chosen. Yeah, a few? Put, wave your hands. Okay, not bad. You can cast it from your phone. It doesn't cost you anything. It's very good. I don't know if you've ever watched kind of films about Jesus. I remember when I was a kid, Jesus of Nazareth with Robert Powell or somebody was the, was the film. And, and he, Jesus had this kind of faraway look in his eye. Didn't really engage with anyone. You know, it's kind of slightly mystical. Nice products in his hair. Lovely white gown. You know, he's just kind of like floating around and you just think, I'm not sure I like that Jesus at all. Whereas the chosen, he is... I don't know whether they've pushed the boundaries. It's, it's artistic. It's not the Bible. Read the Bible if you want to find out Jesus is like. But it, Jesus just seems so approachable, right? If you've seen the chosen, watch it. He's so approachable. He's so meek and, and humble. And you think, wow, Jesus, you're not showy at all. In that moment, he's not like that. Jesus' meekness means this kind of gentle heart means we can draw near to him. He's the most approachable person that ever lived. He's the most approachable person that ever lived. Preacher C.H. Spurgeon, who had his chapel just down the road here, says, Meekness does not seek its own glory. And when it asserts itself, it's always with an eye to the benefit of others. Therefore, no one can bid it be silent. Our Saviour, who never sought the praise of men, says of himself, I'm meek. Now, if I said to you, hey, welcome everyone, I'm Howard, I'm really meek, I'm really a humble person. You know, what would you say, if Andrew said, you know, one of my key, gets on the stage, one of, my key, his, one of his key characteristics is humble, you'd think, there's a bit of a problem, wouldn't you? I mean, there's a bit in the Bible where, where, where it says, and Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And, and, and some people say, oh, that must have been added by an editor because nobody would say, I'm really humble. But actually, I don't think it was added by the editor. I think in one sense, it's Moses' words. But Spurgeon helps us. So our Savior, who never sought the praise of men, says of himself, I am meek because... Why? He desired to remove the fears of those who trembled to approach him. Jesus said, I'm meek because this gentle attitude would silence fear and lead the timid and sinful to approach him and learn of him. He says he's humble and lowly because he wants you to come. He doesn't want you to stay away. He doesn't want you to think he's far away. He wants you to think he's accessible. You know, he's... As I said, he's not this kind of mystic, dispelling wisdom. He's, he's down and dirty with the people. You know, he's not a celebrity preacher who kind of slides in off the stage with his nice sneakers on. Do you like my shoes? My, my daughter said my shoes look good. I've put my best shoes on. But, you know, I could have put my celebrity preacher sneakers on. And then I could have done my sermon and then whisked off into the, into the green room. And then off in the private plane. 
You know, he's, he's not inaccessible. He's not like a politician. You've got to get through layers and layers of security. He's not like a rock star stuck away, getting adulation and then popping off. He's in and in amongst the people is accessible. Jesus, who is lowly, means that he's most approachable and welcoming. When his heart says he's lowly, it tells you where his tender heart is expressed. His heart is t- expressed down here. Down here, lowly. His love flows down here. It flows down here. Why is that important? Because it flows to the bottom of the social hierarchy. It it, it flows not to the palace, but to the stable. It flows not to the throne, although he is enthroned, but to the cross. It It flows not to the people that don't need Jesus. It flows to you. And to me. Because we're down there, aren't we? You know, you know what you're really like. You know, what somebody said that you, so people think, oh, actually, what I've got to do to get to God is I've got to get myself from down here and I've got to really, really try to get up there. But actually, Jesus says, no, I'm coming down. I'm coming down here to you. I'm coming to you. I'm lowly. I'm coming to you. You know, he's not the, he's not, Jesus, if Jesus is a doctor, he describes himself as a doctor. He, he's not going to Harley Street for, for those who want uh, cosmetic enhancement. You know, I, I'd just like you to enhance my lifestyle project, Jesus. No, he's going to the really sick people. You know, he's in the Syrian refugee camp working with those, uh, those people that are absolutely dying without him. They, people criticized him. He says, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Mark 2. On hearing this, this, Jesus said to him, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come called, not to call the righteous, but to call sinners, to call you, and to call me. You know, we, we think Jesus is farthest, farthest there's a, actually, Paul's, we think we're being told that Jesus is closest to you when everything's going well. You go to churches in the city or you can go to churches in America and tell you, you know, if your life's going great, that's a sign that Jesus is so close to you. And if you're down here in the dirt and the lowly and it's broken and your life's going downhill and things are difficult, then Jesus is far away. It's not true. Jesus is there when you need him most. He's there when you're suffering. He's there when you sin. Think about that. When you go to do your sin, whatever your sin thing is that you habitually do, he's there when you go and do that. You think he's far, but he's near when you sin. And then when you sin, you, you think, oh, he's actually far, but he's still near. But he's near to forgive and to heal and to transform. Puritan Richard Stibb says, there's more grace in Christ than there's sin in us. How much sin have you got in you? Paul says he's a chief of sinners, so he felt he had a lot. There's more grace in Jesus, more grace in Jesus to come, 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 come to the persecutor of the church come 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 to you to me there's more grace in him than there is sin in us but you say hang on i've got a i've got an objection to this 
this is all very nice. Yeah, I've watched The Chosen. You know, I went to Sunday school. Jesus is lovely, isn't he? Yeah, great. But, you know, I've got a problem about his dad. You know, his dad, there's a problem about his dad here. You know, his dad is like, man, you read it, you know, you read through, flip. You know, he's angry, bad-tempered, grumpy. Don't give me this gentle and lowly thing. And actually, that's, that's Philip's question. In John 14, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough. It's like, Jesus, I get. I get what you're like. I'm not sure about him. If you show me him and he, he maps out like that, I'll be happy, okay? Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even though I've been amongst you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? Don't you believe that I am in my Father and my Father is in me? One of the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith is that, 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 that Jesus and the Father are one. That if you've seen the Father, you've seen Jesus. There's a guy, uh, an ancient guy called uh, Mar- Martian. Marcion, Martian. Doesn't really matter how you pronounce it. Andrew's not helping me. And he basically said, I can't believe, I can't believe in Jesus because I just don't like his dad. I just can't. But actually, I think, you know, if I'd have sat him here and said, Martian, come on. Read the Old Testament. Not far below the surface is this gentle and lowly God. We'll go, the, go into the Old Testament and do some passages. How long have we got, guys? How am we doing? We're doing okay. 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 There's no clock anywhere. Oh, yeah, there is a back, but I don't know when I started. That is dangerous. Yes, that is very dangerous. Sorry. Okay. Let's look at a few passages in the Old Testament. Let's go to the kind of type one passage it's it's in exodus 34 moses asks a great question jeremy moses moses asks a great question says let your glory pass by what did you expect what did moses expect high and mighty severe power what did you know mighty mighty what did he expect god says i'll show i'll let all my goodness my goodness will pass by Jesus is God's bright shining glory is his goodness. Hides us in the cleft of the rock, which is Christ, and that's another sermon. But then he says, I'll declare my name over you. He says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, Maintaining love to a thousand generations, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. If Matthew 11 is where Jesus reveals his true heart, Exodus 34 is where the Father, God the Father, reveals his true heart. He's gracious, full of grace and mercy, he's compassionate, literally. God is saying, I moved on my insides for sufferers and for sinners. We think God's cold and far away and indifferent. No, he's saying, I moved on my very insides, my very deep within my spirit. I moved for a broken world. 
He says, I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. Abounding means overflowing. It means it cannot, cannot be stopped. It's this overflowing river, this fountain. Now, I know that your love, you might think of your love, if I had a cup here, but it doesn't matter. You might think your love is like a, you've got this kind of amount of love in a little cup. And you think, well, okay, I need to be really careful who I give it to. She looks quite nice. My mom's been lovely. You know, and, and it's gradually running out. As if that's what, 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 what our love is like. And, and you know when it's been sat in there for years and you come and meet, meet your partner and say, would you like a little bit of my love? And they went, oh, it feels a little bit stagnant. and a bit. That's what our, our love is like. But God's love is like this gushing fountain. It's overflowing, constantly, constantly flowing. John Piper says, how do you honor a fountain? You honor it with your thirst. I just threw that in for free. It's not in my notes. But is this overflowing? I mean, the reason the world is here is because you've, God overflowed in love. Father, loving the Son by the Spirit, loving, loving, flowing, flowing, flowing. And they couldn't contain it. It overflowed to you. If you've, if you've got kids here, one of them vomed over my daughter earlier on. You know, but when you have kids, it's like, Oh yes, my love overflows. And then you have a second one and you think, hang on a minute, I just better divide my love in half. Got enough for that one. No, it's, you don't think you just that your love grows. God's, God's love abounding, overflowing constantly. He wanted to create, not because he's needy, but because he's bursting with love and I'm going to give it away. God's heart, he says, let, let's go back to the, the actual passage where it says, it says, uh, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, overflowing, abounding in love and faithfulness. Wow. Maintaining love to a thousand generations, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. God forgives. God forgives. Think about that. The, the arrogant... And the proud cannot forgive. They can't. They just can't forgive. It's only the gentle and lowly, the gracious and compassionate, the ones whose heart overflows who can forgive. He's not above forgiveness. Some of you are above forgiveness. Some of you think, man, do you know what she did to me? Do you know what he did to me? You know, my parents, you know what they've done? I'm done with them. Man, they better make an effort. They really better make an effort. When I offend Naomi, she's very loving and forgiving. She's sitting on the front row, so I just need to be careful what I say here. In fact, Zach said, don't say anything stupid. So far, so good. Well, I don't know. <laughs> and, and, but Naomi's very forgiving. But like, I know that when, when, I, when I offend her, it's just an automatic. I think, oh, I've done wrong. I've said that thing. And, and, and she... She's a bit, and I think, oh, flip. So what do I do? I'll think, right, okay, the washing up. Get that done. Da, da, get that hoover out. <laughs> you know, I better do that, whatever. And she sometimes, I mean, one time she said to me, I know what you're doing. <laughs> I know what you're doing. I think, yes, I'm working my way back in. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> we all struggle to forgive. Sorry, Naomi. Uh, you know, you are lovely and forgiving. 
Because forgiveness costs you. It costs humility. It costs something. Famous quote by Tim Keller. If you've never heard this from, from your preachers, why not? God's grace and forgiveness, says Keller, while free and unmerited to the wrongdoer, that would be you. If the wrongdoer, says in brackets, if the wrongdoer had to do something to merit it, it isn't grace. If you could work your way back, if you could earn forgiveness, it ain't real forgiveness. He says, forgiveness is always costly to the giver. No one who is seriously wrong can just forgive the perpetrator. So when you forgive, it means you, it means you absorb the loss and the debt. You bear it yourself. Forgiveness always comes at the cost of one granted forgiveness. All forgiveness then is costly. On the cross, Jesus stoops. He's humbled, he's stripped, he's, he's mocked, he, 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 he's there with the lowest of the low, he's outside the city wall to be mocked. And in the strength of his meekness, he pays the price. In the goodness of his grace and compassion, he pays the, pays the price. He absorbs the destructive power of sin into his own body so he can be abounding forgiveness to you. God's, loves, God's love flows downhill because Jesus paid the price. And if you're not staggered by that, you need to slap the person next to you and say, Hello? God forgives you. Why would he? Oh, because you're perfectly lovely. No. Because you worked really hard. You come to church, you're on the rotor. No. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're on rotor. So I don't want people to stop coming and not being on the rotor. But... That isn't going to earn anything. The reason he does it is because he's overflowing in love and forgiveness. It cost him to forgive you. We're going to break bread at the end. You do that regularly. Well done. Only a compassionate and gracious God can forgive. But actually, he's not even indiscriminate in his forgiveness. He says, yeah, he does not clear the guilty, bringing the consequences of the father's sin on the third and fourth generation. Sin has consequence. Even though God forgives, it has consequence. You know, Matt Hancock, let's not get too political, but let's say a, a, a person in the government who snogged their, 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 their PA, oh my word, they've broken COVID rules. That's so bad. And even one bishop saying, oh, it's really bad, he broke COVID rules. I think something else is going on, eh? That's going to ripple into his wife. Into, she didn't even know. He goes home and tells her. His kids don't even know. That's going to hurt them for generation after generation. Sin rolls on. It has consequences. 50, 60 years. Some of you bear the pain of it. God does forgive, but sin has consequences. But actually his nature is to forgive to how many generations did it say in the passage? You've forgotten because it's not there. A thousand Imagine what God's like. Okay, he's going up, he's counting, right? Okay, I'm forgiving. Let's pretend there's a thousand here. One day there will be. You know, we forgive you, we forgive you. Okay, okay he's going up, he gets to 99. Thinks, yeah, we're getting closer. You know, he gets to 900, 996, 99. Great, right? I've got my anger ready. Damaris, you're the thousand. Bang! <laughs> Let all my wrath be on you. No, that's not what he's like. Why does he say a thousand? Because that's the biggest number they had in Hebrew. That's why they say a thousand upon thousands attended him. It's the biggest number. It means he's always, 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 always forgiving. Always forgiving. Go, wow, isn't that amazing? Oh, you're really unconvincing. 
goodness me. But you know, when it comes to forgiveness, we, as I said, we hold grudges, don't we? But our ways are not like God's ways. Our ways are not like God's ways. You know, when somebody offends me, and it might take a while to get on the right side of me. I remember my mum said, you keep out of my way because you know what's going to come to you in a very Yorkshire accent. You know, and you think, we think God's like that, don't we? But his ways are not our ways. It's funny that his ways are not our ways thing, isn't it? You, you hear it on the pandemic, don't you? What's, ha- what's God doing with the pandemic? I don't know, but we do say with a faraway look in our eyes, but his ways are not our ways. And that's true, isn't it? But the context is, is about forgiveness. Let me read it to you. I've lost my place. Oh, here it is, Isaiah 55. We'll get to the end here, guys. Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked one abandon their way and the sinful one their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord. It's almost calm or you're weary. Let them return to the Lord. So may have compassion on them, so that they may have compassion on them and turn to our God, for he freely forgives. Why does he freely forgive? Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, my ways are higher than your ways and your thoughts. My thoughts and your thoughts. Sorry, my dyslexia kicked in. What's God saying? He's saying when it comes to forgiveness, the ways that you are and the ways that people are with you, he's not like that. Our ways of dealing when we're hurt and things happen against us, he's not like that. He's so, so different. He's so different. What does God describe? when we slide into sin sorry I, I seem to have am I right am I still okay yeah sorry he says seek me I'm near draw to me draw near to me return to me have compassion and freely forgive when you slide into sin he's saying I'm there we need to get rid of these ideas that when we're guilty we've got to stay away it's bad theology when you're guilty, you know, I, I, I backslid for a, a season in my 20s and I thought, I felt guilty, so I thought, you know what, I better stay away. Stay away from church and stay away from God. Because he's, uh, you know, he's really going to be cross with me, so I better just stay away until he calms down. It's just bad theology. What are you supposed to do with your guilt? It's supposed to make you think, I need him who forgives i need him to pour grace on me god's not like us he doesn't harbor bitterness when when we sin he's near he's not reluctant to forgive puritan thomas goodwin said this 400 years ago in his book the heart of christ long quote and i'm sorry it's not up here we're apt to think that god being so holy is therefore of a severe and sour disposition against sinners not able to bear them now he says, I'm meek. Gentleness is my nature and temper. Yes, 
Yes, but we argue, but he being the son of God and the heir of heaven, and especially now being filled with glory and sitting at God's right hand, he must now despise the loneliness of us here below. He surely has higher thoughts than to regard such sinful, low things as we are. Too high and lofty to condescend, so far off to regard or to take heart for the lowly condition of, more, of mere poor creatures. No, says Christ, I am lowly. So I'm willing to bestow my love and favour on the poorest and meanest. Where does God dwell? Where does God dwell? Isaiah 57. For this says the Lord, the Holy One, high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. You expect that, wouldn't you? Let me read it again. For this says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. You think that? It's true, he does dwell there, doesn't he? But there's a staggering twist as we finish here. But also, also, with him, with her, who is of repentant and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the repentance. That's what Andrew read at the beginning. He comes to revive us. The God who is high up has come close to revive us. He's come close to forgive us. He dwells with us who are lowly. Come to me, says Jesus, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take my yoke and learn from me. When you hear that passage, and we're done right now, when you hear that passage... All of you are weary and heavy laden. You think of a little, a little group called weary and heavy laden. I won't put you, get you to put your hand up. You know, but if you're a teacher, you might be writing reports. Or if you're a mum with a third or fourth kid, you might think, oh, I'm weary and heavy laden. As if, as if there's a small subset called the weary and heavy laden. And then there's a big group called all of us. It's just not true. There's a big group called all of us who are weary and heavy laden. All of you need to come to Jesus. It's not like I'll come to Jesus because I feel tired and exhausted and worn out from the pandemic or come to Jesus because I've, you know, I've, I've struggled with this or feeling that. No, you come to Jesus because he's saying all of you come. All come. All come. Come all who are weary. You come near to him. No forms to fill in. No hoops to jump through. No credit to be earned. You come to him and, you, and you, you, you get down where he is on your knees and say, Father, I come. Just as I am, I come. I come aware of my sin, aware of my brokenness. I come because you're gentle and lowly. I come to find shalom, to find rest, to find wholeness and completeness for my soul. When you break bread in a moment, you come in and say, I need him. I need him. The son has revealed the father to you. He's revealed his very heart to you because he wants you to come. He wants you to come and say, I'm amazed that you forgive me. 
I'm amazed that you'd stoop and love, love me. I'm amazed that you're down there when my struggles. I'm amazed that you're so approachable and I deserve to be far. So we're going to break bread in a moment. I'm just going to pray and Andrew's going to jump up. Father, we pray for the truth to impact us, that you dwell not only in the high and lifted up place, but you dwell with sinners and sufferers like us. That you come close as a doctor to heal, that you come and embrace and transform. That you're overflowing in love, that you stoop down to forgive. Lord, I thank you that, that we get to dwell in this eternal overflow that you've dwelled in, Father and Son, receiving the love of the Father, the poured out Spirit over and over and over. We love you, Jesus. We come right now. In Jesus' name, amen.